So the words will be on the screen, or you can follow along in your, however you brought your Bible. Thanks, Shirley. So reading Genesis uh, chapter 11, and verse, starting at verse 27, Abram's family. This is the account of Terah's family line. Terah became the father of Abram, Nahor, and Haran, and Haran became the father of Lot. While his father Terah was still alive, Haran died in Ur of the Chaldees in the land of his birth. Abram and Nahor both married. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife was Milcah. She was the daughter of Haran, the father of both Milcah and Iscah. Now Sarai was childless because she was not able to conceive. Terah took his son Abram, his grandson Lot, son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, the wife of his son Abraham. And together they set out from Ur of the Chaldees to go to Cana. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. Terah lived 205 years and he died in Haran. The Lord had said to Abram, this is his call, the call of Abram, The Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abraham went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abraham was 75 years old when he set off from Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated, and all the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. Abram travelled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Moray at Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there, He went on towards the hills east of Bethel and pitched his tent, with Bethel on the west and I on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. Then Abraham set out and continued toward the Negev. This is the word of the Lord. morning again everyone. It's great to be with you this morning. At least you know I've been looking forward to coming. It's always nice to be able to check out other churches, particularly where we, where we know a few people and, and see what's going on. So wonderful to be with you this morning. Now, I wonder if you would think of yourself as being blessed. It's a hard question to, to give a real definite answer to because if you're anything like me, then your life has included moments when you felt incredibly blessed. It might be a Wedding day, birth of a child, milestones that you've achieved in life, that sort of thing. Uh, but also times when you felt anything but blessed. Uh, 
Uh, perhaps it's the loss of a loved one, a personal failure, or, or a run of poor health. So if feeling blessed or not blessed depends on our present circumstances, then it probably varies for you a lot as you ride the highs and the lows of life. But is there a real, objective, lasting way of being blessed? Well, the passage that we've just read seems to be telling us that, yes, there is. These first few verses of Genesis chapter 12 in particular, they're they're a real pivotal point in the Bible, a turning point in the Bible, showing us that God's plan was to create a new people and to bless all peoples through one man. We're going to unpack what that means, not just what it meant back then, but what it means for us right here, right now. And we'll see that this passage is about an unlikely man who receives an unlikely promise and responds with unlikely faith. This is an unlikely man by the name of Abram. We, uh, we pick things up in Genesis chapter 11, verse 27. Now, this is long before King David ruled in Jerusalem. This is long before the Ten Commandments were given, long before the nation of Israel existed in any way. Abram and his family, as, as far as we can tell, they don't know God at all. This, this isn't a, a Christian family. Abram is quite old as well. He's 75 years old. And more to the point, his wife, Sarai, is barren. She can't have children. Which adds to the unlikelihood that God is going to use this family to achieve things in any long-lasting way. But God comes to this unlikely man and he makes him an unlikely promise. Uh, He says to Abraham in chapter 12, verse 2 there, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. Now, this, this is an extraordinary promise, given the circumstances, right? This is an elderly, infertile, childless couple being told that a great nation of people is going to descend from their line. It's a bit like someone telling me that I'm going to captain the England soccer team, or the England football team, whatever, whatever way you want to put it. Now, I'm rubbish at soccer. I'm at the age where most professional soccer players are seriously thinking about retirement, and I'm not even an English citizen. That's the level of probability that we're dealing with here. I will make your name great, God says. Uh, We've just had the Tower of Babel incident in in chapter 11. I think it might have been skipped over here. But um, essentially, the people on earth at that time tried to make their name great by building a big tower that reached all the way up to the heavens. And uh, God put a stop to that. He he scattered them by changing their languages. So so God is saying that um, if greatness is going to happen, it's not going to be you guys making a name, a great name for yourselves. But now he's telling Abraham, I'll make your name great. So greatness is going to be on my terms, and your name is going to be great. You'll be a blessing, God says. I'll bless those who bless you. Whoever curses you, I will curse. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So God intends and desires to bless all people. And this blessing is going to come through Abram. And this is a promise that sets the scene for the rest of the Bible. It shows us how God will interact with his people. There's a book called God's Big Picture by Vaughan Roberts. You might have, might have come across it before. And it explains this in a really clear and helpful way. So what the author does is he breaks the, the Bible down by showing that there are three themes that, that run throughout the Bible. There's... Um, these, these themes run through all the way from the Garden of Eden at the start all the way to heaven 
right at the end. Uh, There's God's people living in God's place under God's rule and blessing. So God's people, God's place, God's rule and blessing. And here in Genesis 12, we've got the promise of God's people. This nation that will descend from Abram, his offspring. We have the promise of God's place. We've got this land that that God has shown to Abram, that he says he will give to Abram's offspring. And we have the promise of God's blessing as well, both for this great nation and for all peoples as well. So God's people, God's place, God's rule and blessing. I'll come back to that little framework a little bit later because that will help us to understand how the dots connect throughout the Bible with this. Uh, But God has made a promise to Abram, and it's a promise with a cost, isn't it? He's been told to leave his country, leave his father's household. It's a promise from a God who Abram had probably never known before. There's nothing here to indicate that, God had, that Abram had known God before this. And it's a promise that must have seemed doubtful as well. God was really going to give Abram children? And on the off chance that he did, that all peoples on earth will be blessed through them? It seems highly unlikely. It's an unlikely promise made to an unlikely man who responds with unlikely faith. Chapter 12, verse 4 there, Abram went as the Lord had told him. So he responds in faith to God's instruction and promise. He sets out for the land of Canaan. He goes there with his wife, Sarah, his nephew, Lot, and the people that they had acquired in their previous land, so various servants and workers. And he sees that the Canaanites are in the land, so God isn't giving him this land just yet. God appears again and he tells him, I'm going to give this land to your offspring. And Abram believes him. He builds an altar to the Lord there. It's it's an expression of faith that he believed the promise that God had made to him. And um, Abram travels all the way through the land. He travels all the way from the, the northern border of the land all the way to the south. He sees all of the land that's been promised. And he builds another altar and he, and he calls on the name of the Lord. Now, Abram's not a perfect person by any stretch. Um, I think you guys are going to keep going through Genesis for a few more chapters. And as you do that, you're going to unpack plenty of Abram's flaws along the way. We see that he's definitely not a perfect guy by any stretch. But his faith is real. He's a committed believer. He's a sincere worshipper of God. In fact, Abram's faith, so his, his trust in God's promises... It gets a mention in several parts of the New Testament. I won't go into all of them, but there's, there's one particular chapter, Hebrews chapter 11, where lots of faith heroes of the Old Testament get a mention. There's a sort of an argument building up by the writer of um, the way that faith in God works, and he uses a whole lot of examples from the Old Testament. And Abram is right up there on the honors list for it. Uh, now, I should probably point out that his name is changed to Abraham a little bit later in Genesis. That'll, that'll make sense of this. So in Hebrews chapter 11, we read that by faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. So this unlikely promise made to an unlikely man and received with unlikely faith will ultimately find unlikely fulfillment. Now, I don't want to spoil too much of the rest of the journey through Genesis, but God brings partial fulfillment to his promise to Abram um, by providing him 
with children. Abram and Sarai are able to have children. God makes Israel into a great populated nation. And Abraham, who is the father of this nation, Israel, is given a great name. A name that is held in highest esteem by his countless descendants. Centuries later, God will rescue the nation of Israel from slavery in Egypt. And finally, he will deliver them into this land that he promised to Abram all those years ago. They become an increasingly powerful, prosperous and blessed nation. The the other nations around them are able to see that God has blessed this nation of Israel. And yet they constantly rebel against God. They refuse to live under his rule. They rebel against him. They fall away. They forfeit his blessing. And they're eventually defeated and taken from their land as punishment. And as this rise and decline of Israel takes place, God raises up many more people along the way whose faith is held up as an example in that Hebrews chapter 11 passage that I mentioned before, just as Abram's was. Hebrews 11 ends with these words in verses 39 to 40. Uh, These, so these people who had faith, they were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised, since God had planned something better for us, so that only together with us would they be made perfect. So what it's saying here is that lots of Abram's descendants, just like him, were faithful in response to God's promises. But none of them received the full extent of God's blessing, the things that God had promised. Why not? Well, because God was planning a much better fulfillment to his promises than just a large, powerful nation. And so, thousands of years after God called Abram and promised him all these things, at a time when Israel was a weak, humbled nation that looked anything but blessed, a man came from Abram's line. Not just any man, but God himself was entering into the brokenness of humanity. Jesus came to fulfill this promise of blessing. In fact, Jesus became cursed so that we could be blessed. It was by dying on a cross, the most painful, humiliating and and cursed way to die, that Jesus took on himself the punishment for human sin. So all the things that we've thought and said and done that deserve God's condemnation. Um, Which means that if we've repented of our sin, that is, we've made the decision to turn away from a life that dishonors God and to live for Jesus instead, and we've trusted that Jesus' death is the only way that we've been forgiven and can be right with God, then we're saved. God declares us free from guilt because the guilt of our sins has been laid on Jesus. It's that great news that we declared and we celebrated together with the Lord's Supper earlier this morning, that the only way we can be right with God is that Jesus has died in our place. Uh, So if you're here this morning and you wouldn't consider yourself a Christian or you're still kind of thinking through what following Jesus is all about, this is what the Bible calls the gospel message. It's what Christianity is all about. It means that Being a Christian isn't about being a a great, outstanding person and earning our way to God and to heaven by being amazing people. It's knowing that we aren't good enough on our own. We aren't good enough. But that God loved us enough to make a way through Jesus dying and, and being raised back to life. And when we've understood that, 
we've unlocked what it means to be blessed. See, it's all part of that same promise that God made to Abraham all those years ago. Um, Have a look at how the Apostle Paul puts it. This is in his letter to the Galatian church. It was written uh, probably about 10 or 15 years after Jesus had died and and been raised back to life. And and we read in Galatians chapter 3, verse 8, Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So what it's saying here is this, this gospel message of Jesus dying for us and to bring us to God. That's what God had in mind, even as he made these promises to Abram. He was preaching the gospel to Abram all those years in advance. Have a look a bit later on in Galatians 3 verse 14. It says that God redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles, that is anyone who's not a Jew, through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. So through Jesus, who descended from Abram, all nations are blessed, whether they're people that have descended directly from Abraham, Jews, or or Gentiles who haven't. All peoples are blessed because this offer of salvation, the gospel message, it's for all people. Anyone can put their trust in Jesus and be saved, regardless of whether they can trace their family tree back to Abram or not. What does this mean for us? What does this mean on the ground for us? Well, Galatians 3 also says that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed or Abraham's descendant and heirs according to the promise. It's a lot of verses I've just thrown at you. So let's, let's put all of that together. What, what he's saying here is that If your trust is in Jesus, you're a child of Abraham. You're blessed, just as he was. You're an heir of the promises that God makes to him. What does that look like? Well, let's go back to that model that I talked about earlier. God's people, God's place, God's rule and blessing. God's people back then was the nation of Israel. What is it now? Well, it's the gathered church, the church that meets together in the name of Jesus, celebrating what he's done for us by his death and resurrection. That's what it means to be God's people right now. And one day, God's people is going to be the people of all ages, of all tongues and tribes and nations, gathered together to sing his praises forever. What a beautiful thing that will be to be a part of. God's place back then was this land that he promised to Abraham, the land that Israel later lived in. God now dwells in his people by his Holy Spirit, collectively in his church. And one day, we're going to dwell with him in heaven. The new heavens, the new earth, dwelling together with God and with all people in a world that's completely free of brokenness and sin and pain and grief. God's rule and blessing, well, we see it and experience it now in part. But one day, we'll experience it in full. We'll see God face to face. We'll have none of the brokenness of sin tainting our view. This is what it means to be blessed. It means belonging to Jesus by faith. Trusting in the redemption that he has made possible by his blood. The redemption that there was no other way we could have.
receiving the promise of the Holy Spirit and the assurance of dwelling with God and his people forever and ever. As we sung in that song, Amazing Grace, today, when we've been there 10,000 years, we've no less time, we've no less days to sing his praise than when we first begun. That assurance of eternity with God is just amazing to think about. So God made an unlikely promise to an unlikely man with this fulfillment in mind. Now, it's important for us to be clear on what God has and hasn't promised. Because it's so easy to twist this promise of blessing and, and try and make it into something it isn't. And it's natural, isn't it? Because there are things that we want in life and we'd love to just be able to convince ourselves that the Bible is telling us that we're going to have this thing. Friends of Alicia and I have been going through a difficult time recently and um, they stumbled across some Christian teaching. If you listen to this on the podcast, that's Christian in inverted commas, just want to make that clear. The teaching that put false promises in God's mouth. That It used Bible passages to put false promises in God's mouth. It promised them success and blessing in their situation and that all they needed was enough faith that God was wanting to give them this exact thing that they wanted and all that they needed was just enough faith to be able to, to grab hold of it. Now, that, that's really unhelpful and really spiritually destructive teaching because it leads people to think that if they're not receiving something, it's either because God is a liar or they don't have enough faith to receive it. Neither of which leaves you in a very good place, spiritually. Now, sure, Abram and Sarah as well, they're both given a positive mention in the book of Hebrews for having faith. But it's faith in something that God has promised to them. We had um, Steamer come along and give some talks on our youth camp a few weeks ago. I was trying to look for him, but he's out the back. Oh, he's doing, doing a great job with the kids, aren't you? Aren't you blessed to have Steamer? Uh, we, we loved having, having him along in our youth camp. He did a, did a great job with it. Uh, and he made this point really well, that there are things that God has promised to give us if we ask by faith. So forgiveness of sins, his Holy Spirit, eternal life, those are things that are, are ours if we, if we ask them in faith. And there are things that God may choose to give us. Good health, a marriage, children, work. We can't confuse the eternal blessings that he's explicitly promised to give us with the immediate blessings that he may also provide. And we just need to be clear on this and not expect things from the Bible that, that we haven't been promised, just to, be, to hold loosely to those things that we haven't been promised. Now, your life right now might seem really blessed. You might have heard my question at the start and thought, yes, I do have a blessed life. But maybe not. Your life might not seem blessed right now from a physical, mental, or material sort of sense. You might have gone through difficult things. You might still be going through difficult things. This might be a really tough season of life that you're in at the moment. Perhaps your hopes for family and career or, or health have fallen apart or they, they haven't turned out the way you wanted them to. I don't know most people here. I, I don't know most of your life stories. But thinking back to Trinity Church Allgate, my home church, if I, when I look around there, I know that there are people with extremely challenging life circumstances that are being faced. And, and I assume that's, that would be the same here and in, in any church. People going through issues with mental or physical health, family dreams that have been shattered, problems with money or employment, family members lost in tragic circumstances, 
See, if being blessed is about what we have and what we experience in the here and now, then we'd have to seriously question it. It's a, it's, we'd have to wonder how much stock we can put in something that can change in the blink of an eye. But if your trust is in Jesus, then even during those times, you're blessed in a way far better than anything else this world can offer. As we read these promises that God's given in Genesis chapter 12, the call for us is to look forward in faith to the end goal of this blessing, to the day when we'll truly know just how blessed we are. Like Abram, we can, we can look at things as they are now and, and realise how far short they fall of the blessing that we desire. And yet, in the words of Hebrews chapter 11, we can look forward in faith to the city whose foundations and architect and builder is God. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for these promises of blessing made to Abram and, and for the way that we, that we sit under these blessings as well, that we, we know that we have the promise of being your people in your place under your rule and blessing. We give you great thanks for the ways that that plays out now. We thank you for the joy of following you, for the joy of being able to call you Father, for meeting with your people, for the gift of your Holy Spirit and the privilege of following you. And we look forward to that day when we will see you face to face, when we will know you in a far deeper way than we do now, when we will dwell together with all people who have put their trust in you and when we won't be saddened by the brokenness of sin and the pain that that brings. Now we pray that you would help us to be able to look at the, the world at the moment, to look at how short it falls of our desires and, and just how unblessed we can feel at times when we rise the lows of life. But please help us to remember the blessing that is ours in you and to rejoice in that. Amen.